Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 244. Relax, beefcake. I didn't come here for a fight. This week, we're discussing episode two of Class, The Coach with the Dragon Tattoo, and season five, episode two of Angel, Just Rewards. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alrighty. Um, class. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, what's interesting is they're clearly, just even in the title, um, they're, they're, like, just going all out for the, like, other pop culture reference stuff here. Yeah, sure. Um, which right, I, which isn't I, that's that's not a very Doctor Who thing. Well, I was gonna say like to yeah, do. I mean it's Doctor Who ish to reference pop culture, but not like so explicitly like in the title or whatever. And I feel like that mm-hmm. in and of itself is more of a Buffy thing. In fact, an Angel verse yeah thing mm-hmm. too, um, a Buffy verse and Angel thing too. I guess I should have said it that way. Um, so yeah, I don't I mean which is fine, but also like this is very um like it doesn't give away like what the plot is or anything, but like it's kind of hinting you directly at uh kind of what's going on. Although I've never read like the girl with the dragon tattoo. But um I like isn't that is that's it's like the victim. Who has the tattoo, right? Or is it the, or is it the main character, like the main? No, she's the main. I think she's the main character. Oh, it's, so I've it seen the movie, but it's been a long time. I think, but oh, okay. I, I could be wrong about that. So, so the um, the the eponymous person of the book is the like main character who's trying to like solve the mystery. I want to say yes, but I actually. I'm realizing that I don't actually know that. So I'll say, I don't know. <laughs> I was been, just wondering, well, so the thing, it's been the, too reason, long. the reason I asked this, I, I had always thought it was the victim in the book, but again, I've not read it. That was just a total prejudicial, you know, thought on mm-hmm. my account. Um, so in that, I was going to say that's interesting then, because then if we apply the same sort of, thing here you know what what happens to the coach at the end it's almost kind of looking at him as a victim because Mm -hmm. he's not he doesn't all right i guess i'm kind of jumping into talking about the coach but like he's not it's not his fault of what happens really um now Mm -hmm. now we can late still lay blame at his feet because of the choices he makes i think but like Mm -hmm. like he gets sort of hit with this dragon that gets attached to his skin right like for whatever reason you know again like we could we could say like well it sucks that he's not strong enough or that like he he chooses to like kill people to like appease this dragon or whatever to like not endanger his own life like we might feel better towards him if he had like sacrificed himself to save the other people but like like what happens isn't his fault in as far as like how it begins right 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's not his fault. Like he is, there is a sense in which he's a victim. So I, I was going to mm-hmm. make, I was going to make that connection, but it turns out that's a totally inappropriate connection if <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo is in fact not the victim, but the main character of that story. Well, I, uh, I, I checked and yes, uh, the main character, um, Elizabeth Salander is the one with the tattoos. Um, but I don't know that there is a, like, she's not the murder victim, obviously. But um, she is victimized in the story. Okay. Um, and there is a sense of, like, you've, I mean, you've seen the books and the images from the movie. Like, you know her very, like, punk, like, sure. hard girl aesthetic. And I, I think there is a connection of people who perceive themselves as weak or as victims um making themselves over in a way to be seen as hard and right right you know sort of the aggressor rather than the victim in well, a situation so actually, and i like i mean obviously that's more like from a female perspective like kind of how to protect yourself in a in a really dangerous sort of world but like i think with the coach kind of what i want to get into with him is this as kind of like a toxic masculinity thing of a guy who seems as though he was he at least from his own self-perception wasn't respected or Mm -hmm. feared or you know he wasn't satisfied in his masculinity and kind of went from the victimhood of feeling sort of ineffectual to the overcompensation of being masculine in the worst ways of like being violent and being a bully and all these sort of things that he thinks he needs to be. So I think like there is, there there is actually sort of a connection, which I hadn't really thought about, but I think it's a good one. I hadn't. And like you kind of, you kind of alluded to the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, like, my connection is accidental, since the connection I made doesn't exist, but um, I, I'm i glad that we were able to kind of resuscitate it somehow. Because um, you're right, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't well, been thinking of the aspect of that he was weak, and so he's not at fault in a way, but I guess he also kind of looks at it as a happy accident to some degree, if it has this effect, mm-hmm. and, and maybe maybe there's it's like there's this unfortunate side effect but like in the rest of his life he's happy although i mean maybe maybe conflicted is the better way to put it because like i don't Mm -hmm. think i don't think like all things being equal like we would think that he wants to go around killing people but if it's if if his if those deaths it seems to be from his perspective that if those deaths help him maintain yeah sort of like you said like the hard you know respected personality that he has then he's okay with it <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that even though um 
but like kind of what you were saying before, it doesn't necessarily give away the entire plot. Calling the title that does certainly kind of point out pretty early on where we should be focusing. So there's no like third act twist where like, oh, the coach who we weren't paying attention to suddenly is revealed to be, right. you know, the bad guy. It's sort of like pretty much from the start, you know, like, all right, there's, you know, this coach with a dragon tattoo and people are being eaten. Like, hmm, I wonder where, like, what's the source of that? And, you know, a, a different approach would be to have that be a misdirect, but that's not what happens. Like, it, it is as simple as what the title sort of suggests it to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe the, the coach is, it's less about trying to surprise you with his sort of being the, the bad guy and giving, instead they're kind of giving you the full episode to really think about his conflict and like, is he a bad guy? And if so, in what ways is he a bad guy? And um, sort of yeah. the complicated nature of that. All right. Well, now we well, we solved that title. Almost. <laughs> um. Um. Did you want to start with Ram? I mean, we kind of get most of the plot is really focused on him as a character. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, which I had, I had, I had sort of, I'd sort of forgotten that. Um, I mean, I don't really remember these episodes too well, but um, I feel like that was a surprise to, I feel like normally, like if it's Buffy or whatever in an ensemble show, it would be like maybe a few episodes before we would really get a very deep character episode. It's normally like you take a few episodes to have them all together and like do the group before you sort of start to individually look at them. So it sort of surprised me when it was like, oh yeah, this episode is like 90% with Ram. Yeah. And I also like in that same vein, I kind of find it surprising that it's an episode focused on how the group sort of immediately dissolves, like after the big mm. initial, like pulling together. Cause like, again with Buffy, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you know, welcome to the Hellmouth. And I mean, it's like the first two episodes, right? Cause it's kind of a two parter. And like, by the end of that, it's like, okay, now we've established like Buffy, Willow and Xander are going to be best friends <laughs> like forever. Um, and like here, it, like that's not the case um i mean you get kind of like april and charlie and um tanya are are still friends and friendly but like and not even just ram who kind of goes off but also like quill who okay she's the sort of giles teacher not giles in like a mentor kind of way but like giles as like the teacher and so sort of the adult overseer aspect um who's like they're both kind of off versus you know the buffy group of 
like Giles is with them as like that leader mentor, even though there's still some initial hesitance from Buffy. But like you get them, you get like by the end of the first episode or so that they're like a cohesive group <laughs> um, in mm-hmm. the Buffy verse, but not, that's not the case here. Um, so I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it's maybe toying a little, I, I don't know like that it's quite subverting, but just kind of saying like, okay, like let's, I mean, I guess it depends on like what you call a subversion, but you know, like let's just kind of take a little bit longer, you know, before the group gels and maybe go a little deeper into, I think it totally makes sense to focus on Ram. If you're going to have a character study um, to focus, mm. to focus on him first, because he's clearly the most traumatized from the first episode, I think um, mm-hmm. with the loss of a limb and the loss of a girlfriend. Um, yeah. So like, I do think that, once you make that decision of one of the members sort of pulling away from the group and trying to deal with stuff on his own. And also like we got hints before, like of, you know, he's a jock and the others are kind of nerdy and, you know, not really in line with, although I don't, I don't know quite how that same, like, is that a similar, um, you know, thing in, in England as it is in the U.S. I mean, maybe culturally, because, like, with movies and television over the last, you know, 40 years, like, it's moved in that direction. But I don't, like, it, would that, mm-hmm. would those same stereotypes hold up? I guess it, it seems to sort of here. But um, mm-hmm. I guess I wouldn't have necessarily thought about that before mm. some of these episodes. But, but just yeah. the fact that, like, he has different interests. And so, like, here you see him, you know, with Charlie and, you know, saying like, I've got enough to deal with on my own. And Charlie, Charlie being like, you don't have to do it alone and his pulling away. And then um, April, like, you know, when, when uh, Ram says like, you know, again, would you all just leave me alone? I don't need anyone help, anyone's help. And April's like, well, that sounds like a cry for help. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, saying you don't need help is a cry for help. Um Yeah. So, like, just those types of things where, you know, again, it just kind of makes sense that he's the one in that predicament of trying to deal with, and whether it's, I mean, I don't think it's just one thing necessarily. I think it's both the, like, because he pulls away from his dad, too. Like, he doesn't want to talk to his dad about his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, others don't necessarily think that she's dead, like, outside of their group like like mm-hmm. his dad doesn't know that she's dead right like everyone else just thinks she's missing mm-hmm. um and that kind of along with the fact that like like charlie kind of points out like the rest of the school has gone back to normal like they seem to have just completely forgotten which is also like another like remember early on in the buffy things we were talking about how like how much people seem to either not notice or have sort of selective uh, memory loss when it comes to mm-hmm. all the weird goings on in Sunnydale. Um, that same kind of thing seems to be happening here of like people just move on and forget. And we've talked about that with Doctor Who as well. It's not just yeah. Buffy where yeah. that happened. Um, yeah. 
So I think all of that put together, it's like Ram wants to deal with it on his own, but also like he already sees himself as separate from the group of friends at school or potential friends at school, you know, who with whom he might talk about this stuff. And he can't talk about it with everyone else because none of them really know what's going on anyway. Like it's, it would be more of a bother to try to explain to like his dad or someone else, like what's really going on. Cause they don't know or remember any of the stuff that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's also interesting. I mean, I know this wasn't that long ago, but even just, I feel like within the last year or so with, you know, at least in the u.s i don't know how much in the uk this would um play through but with you know things like school shootings and stuff and the focus on those kids who are feeling like outsiders and ostracized and whatever like i don't think typically like i i mean i don't i i haven't looked at the data like i don't know how many of those kids are on like sports teams you know versus not on sports teams but i think the general convention is that like being on a sports team you know helps you you know socialize and like you have sort of like a built-in you know group of friends but like this is kind of taking that and saying like no that's not necessarily the case like especially if you're Mm. at the top of the team and then something goes wrong like people Mm -hmm. like the coach here kind of starts treating them like crap and we don't get much I think the the one thing that I would say is like I wish we could have seen a little more from how the other players treat him in that, because like, yeah, that would be, right, right. that would be an interesting thing. But I, I get the sense that like, in addition to like the pressure that a kid in high school would put on himself, especially when you see sort of some of the ways that he interacts with his dad, you get the sense that there's a lot of pressure or at least perceived pressure coming in from there. I guess we can talk about his dad a little bit later too, but um, you know, how much of that pressure is just coming from the feeling of like, you're the star of the team or, or at least, you know, near the top of the team, you know, and, mm-hmm. and now you've gone from, you know, that to just being completely unreliable. And, and the question that everyone's asking, which is the kind of the assistant coach puts it, but he puts it to the head coach, not, it's not like other players and stuff who are kind of involved in the conversation, but kind of the question there of like, is it physical or is it mental? You know, what's going on? Mm. Um, and, and you get that sense of like, in addition to his own, maybe sort of feeling the failure, you know, there's the potential sense that the rest of the team is also looking at him as a failure and which just doubles down or, or more Mm -hmm. than doubles, you know, down on kind of that feelings of, of worth and shame and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. 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 And whether or not that's the intention behind it, certainly the effect of not having him seem to have friends at all, like, you know, outside of these kind of people who are now his sort of circumstantial friends. Um, Like he's not really shown to be friendly with anyone on the team. And it does make you wonder, like, 
was that true even before all this stuff happened? Like, right. you know, maybe he didn't feel like he needed them because he was successful and maybe he had their respect as a good player and, and he had this girlfriend and he was sort of popular in the sense of like being well-liked and everything. But it, I don't think we see any evidence that he has like friendships necessarily. Um, like we don't even get, you know, people on his team asking him what's going on and he feels like he can't talk about it. We just like don't see any real interaction there. Um, which kind of leads me to suspect that he's kind of on his own. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it does a pretty good job of showing the isolation. I mean, it can happen for anybody, but certainly in that high school age, um, when things, when, you know, a, a, per, a young person deals with something traumatic or struggles with something. Um, that feeling of they're completely on their own and have nobody to talk to who will understand. Um, or the people that will understand are not desirable enough to connect with, you know, like it takes them a while to get over the hump of trusting, you know, or not caring enough, like who Tanya and April and Charlie are. Um, mm -hmm like seeing the value and connecting with them because they have things in common. Um, doesn't mean that they have everything in common, but they have this, like Tanya keeps pointing out all the, the, you know, like every time something crappy happens, she's like, look, we went through this again. Like, here's another thing that means we understand what the other one is going through. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but the, the, re, you know, the kind of, normal reaction of high school student is bottle it up, you know, keep it inside. Don't let it affect your future. Don't let it affect your relationships. Um, even if that means you don't really have any. <laughs> sure. sure. Which I think like getting back to the, the coach, that's the kind of reflection of, that pull towards the um the pressure to be strong in the sense of masculine you know um like talking about his feelings and grieving and doubting and crying and all these things are things to not be shared, you know, like, right. Don't, you know, you, you know, I mean, part of it is like, okay, they're, they have this secret they have to keep, but I think that's, if we're in Buffy territory, that's the metaphor we're working here is there are these really difficult, traumatic things happening that he does not feel like he can talk to anybody about. Um, because, he wouldn't be believed or he wouldn't, his feelings wouldn't be validated or, you know, people would think he was unstable or all those things. Like that's the kind of metaphor of the week, I guess. Um, right. And like, you know, down the road in his future lies 
the coach, you know, like the, the, the boy who grows into the man who values his sort of strength or perceived strength more than anything else, like more than people or relationships or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, and so I mean, kind of bringing in, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, there's a little kind of all of the, um, Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of talked through, like, the different problems that he kind of has, like, with, as far as the beginning, um, between his, you know, leg and, and the grief over losing his girlfriend and not wanting to talk to anyone, kind of the reasons there. Um, mm-hmm. But then on top of that, like, then, like, like, because he's sort of set himself apart and um, maybe not quite burned bridges, but he sort of poured gasoline over them um when like the weird stuff starts to happen he doesn't really have anyone to like turn to or at least he thinks mm-hmm. he doesn't have anyone to turn to i mean we see that he actually does later but uh you know he he kind of ends up putting himself in a position where he he believes he has to deal with this other stuff like oh you know finding the um skinned uh you know body of his uh assistant coach in the you know shower room and you know mm-hmm. um seeing the the dragon thing come and take away the cleaning lady um mm-hmm. and that kind of thing um which i guess that that second one is is what really prompts him then to reach out and and actually look for help like it's kind of like okay maybe I've reached my limit of where I should be um, actually mm-hmm. trying to like deal with the stuff on my own. And, and that's where he finally does reach out to, to Tanya at least, um, which is mm-hmm. an interesting choice. I sort of hinted last time um, and I I I wasn't thinking about like the age difference here either. Um which actually we didn't we I mean we talked about Tanya being a, of a different age than the others like she's you know um an mm-hmm. accelerated student and you know younger than the others. Um but also that like there seems to be more of a friendship developing between Ram and Tanya. Um, even I think we saw in the last episode then between the others, like not that I want to talk about them in terms of couples, but, it, but there is sort of a pairing off with like April and Charlie, I think. And, mm-hmm. and Ram and Tanya as like, you know, the, the, the sets of friends within the larger group of friends kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But interesting that he kind of goes to her and not like to the group as a whole or to even like april or or quill or someone you know like um mm-hmm. and i i guess it would have to do with that you know tutor relationship and the fact that like he saw her getting attacked last time right like the shadow mm-hmm. thing over the computer so maybe there's sort of a reciprocation 
thing going on here of I, I and I don't I don't even know that this is like intentional. I'm just kind of like thinking this as I'm talking through it. But um intentional or not, like that there's there's sort of that idea of like he helped her last time in a way, like you know um de in dealing with like the shadows and things, but and now it's kind of like so he now he's going to her, I think, for that same reason mm -hmm. of like okay, you've been calling me and contacting me and wanting to know what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my life. Um, there's a big dragon that skins people alive. Um, would you like to come help me with that? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know that I have like more to say about that other than just the, like, like that's the thing, the like seeing that, like, like getting to that point where it's so traumatizing that like even he feels like he needs to have someone to help him work through that. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And paradoxically, like for all the reasons you just mentioned it, the person who can, who he first allows to help him is, you know, would be considered like the weakest member of the group. Like, you know, the the girl who's three years younger than them or whatever she is, you know, but like, yeah, like he already has this established relationship with her where she kind of knows more than him, you know, like, so he sort of accepted that she's more advanced than he is in some ways. So mm -hmm. like, he's able to sort of get over this hurdle of, being able to accept help um from her of all people um which i think like that's how it is for young people like why would he why is it so much harder for him to ask help from his dad than it is for, you know to ask this younger girl but like that's a thing that you know teenagers struggle with is talking to their parents you know um doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but that's certainly you yeah, know, a common experience, I think. Yeah. Not for everybody, but for but for some, for those who have you know want to be have a certain amount of pride or want to impress their parents and not be a disappointment or whatever their reasons are, you know. Yeah. That's a struggle. No, I I don't disagree with that. I the sort of hesitation I had was that I think it's just more than that too. Like it's that it goes back to that thing of Tanya went through it like he did right like mm -hmm. whereas his dad wasn't involved in the other so like tanya already has sort of right. the ground the groundwork of like she's going to believe right. him first of all and she knows about like the rift and the supernatural element and stuff whereas like whether this is you know part of the not trusting or wanting to talk to parents like parents just don't understand right like they right. they um don't have the same lexicon and you know knowledge of the world that teenagers have or that's the belief anyway whether mm -hmm. that's true mm -hmm. or not that's at least you know what they're what what he thinks and so um Tanya, he knows, at least has the same, you know, to some degree, the same experience, or at least the same level of information that he has. Um, 
which makes her automatically mm-hmm. more qualified to be someone to help, even if she is theoretically weaker and less capable than others might be. Yeah. yeah. And she has the shared experience of of her grief. You know, like, so that's another way where they're like right. each other and like, you know, her, right. the kind of story she tells about n- also not knowing how to talk about her experience and and her like ability to sort of just let him not talk about things. Um, so she kind of approaches him on his level and respects his process and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, anything else with the coach? I mean, should we talk about like the actual alien plot? <laughs> like yeah. the fact that he has dragons on his skin and um and they're eating people and he's sort of enabling that and allowing it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yes, that would probably be good. Um so the yeah, with his I mean so the weird we talked about the weird stuff that starts happening, of course, right? And so we sort of, um, you know, we see like the coach in the shower. We well, we see a little more than we need to of the coach in the shower, um, but you know that's fine. Like we yeah. see more than we need to of other characters at times in other uh, settings. So that's for those who enjoyed seeing the coach's buttocks. That's perfectly fine, right? Um, and it's it's the. And it's consistent with your with your observation that class is more graphic in many different senses than these other, you know, than Buffy and Doctor Who and yeah. these other young adult shows that we've watched. You know, their their willingness to show some skin and some blood yeah. and guts and all that kind of thing is well, much higher. Well, there's there's plenty of shows out there that you know engage in the. Um, problematic perhaps uh uh you know element of the male gaze and so here's a little for the female gaze maybe or or you know males of a certain orientation um so sure that's fine um i guess if if you know again like not not i don't think it's subversive in the way that like like i I didn't get the sense that like they were doing it because of that reason like it was it was more like oh we're showing that there's a tattoo here, but you know, let's we'll show a little cheek too, just to you know, just to make sure that mm-hmm. it gets in there. Um. <laughs> Everybody's paying attention. I I think you just don't yeah, expect yeah, it, yeah. like you said last time. You just don't expect it in a in a series about teenagers. I, I would. Of... Yeah, this is again like reiterating that this is definitely not the like, you know, child audience. Uh, that we're looking at, you know, with something like Doctor Who, um, as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, definitely, uh, definitely was unexpected, I guess, from my perspective. Um, but now, like, now that I know that it's a little darker and a little more graphic, like you said, in, in multiple ways, 
uh, you know, maybe I'll be expecting that more. Although probably by the time you start expecting things like that is right when they stop doing them. Um, right, exactly. So It's just there to shock you for two episodes and then they'll probably never do it again. Right, then it becomes like G after that, or PG at least. Um, <laughs> or whatever, yeah, whatever the British, you know, television equivalent of those ratings are. Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh, we spent way too much too much time talking about the Koji's buttocks than we needed to. Um, we, yeah, so we see like the moving, like the the tattoo and stuff, and like um, the sort of like affirmation, <laughs> uh, you know, into the mirror. You know, you're you're good enough. You're strong. No, wait. Uh, the um, I control. <laughs> you know, I control things. Um, or I'm in control. What is it? Not you. Um, and those sorts of things where like it's that thing of like where if you have to say that, then you're not in control. Of course. So, mm -hmm. um, or you know, like it's more it's more hopeful than commanding maybe um mm -hmm. which brings which brings the question of like okay like he's he's gotten more control and respect but it's it's illusory right because he's not in control and certainly not at getting respect from the dragon because he has to keep saying like he keeps repeating too like you know this was the deal right like the deal was I mean, I don't know that we get the exact terms of the deal, but, like, you get the sense that, like, there was a, a partnership struck up here of, like, I'll do what you want if you give me what I want. But um, mm -hmm. it it's not entirely clear that uh, he's, he's, he's maybe getting his part of the deal in that. Um, yeah. Yeah, anything to say about that sort of the tat like the just like the tattoo itself before we kind of learn the broader significance of it and and what's going on there? Not really. No. I don't really have anything to add on top of that. Um Yeah, I mean the broader significance, I think it's a fairly straightforward like reflection of, you know, the the grief that Ram is experiencing, you know, I don't know that it is much, I don't know that it's super deep, but like just the kind of mirroring of the person who's bereft of their loved one and sort of, again, lashing out in anger potentially. Um, mm -hmm. And just as kind of a, a mere reflection of Ram as he sort of moves beyond that. Um, so kind of, there's like, a few different, I don't know that that's the more complex metaphor, but there is, like, there also that, like, you have this dragon couple, and, you know, and the one is sort of lashing out in, you know, his anger over his loss of, of the mate, so. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't, I mean... We've talked a lot about the character stuff and like 
we kind of just outlined the plot. I don't know that there's a lot to say beyond the plot. Like just mm-hmm. of that, like that's pretty much what it is. And like from there, I mean, you know, yeah, you get sort of the resolution of, um, Hey, haven't you ever heard of a thing called leather? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're good at skinning people alive skin this guy alive and you'll have your mate forever. Yeah. It might not be quite the way you wanted her, but which is, I mean, a weird sort of thing. Like, like, like we don't want to get in. I mean, this is a good segue into like the necromancy, like preservation, you know, uh, display room that Magnus has in Angel, I guess. But like, right. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's like a weird sci-fi story you could have of like, the person preserved in the skin, right? Like this, this, this is a good like Poe-esque story. Um, right. That you could, you know. Right. And it's, and I feel like the Doctor Who resolution might be that like, there's a way to restore her to get her out of his skin and like, you know, resurrect the dragon so that she can go off with her mate. Whereas this is like, well, you know, if if you skin him, you'll have her. She's still gonna, it seems, be in the skin. <laughs> but, yeah. but you could have the skin and free of this guy, like just throw him in the garbage dump and you'll still have her, but like in this strip of leather. Right. Like and, and even if you don't yeah, know how like to do kind it. Of, oh, I was, yeah. gonna, I was gonna say, like, even if you don't know how to do it now, maybe it's it's sort of like cryogenics, right? Like we don't we don't know now how exactly to revive people that we freeze, but we believe that in the future at some time, you know, by freezing people now, we'll like discover first the cure of like what it was that killed them, and then also like how to revivify them in some way. <laughs> it's kind of like that aspect to it, I get right. Uh, right. Right, so it's a much more, yeah, like, gothic horror (laughs) kind of resolution to, like, getting the monster sort of, or the alien, what he wants, but in a very grotesque sort of fashion. Um, The other thing is, I didn't think of this when I was watching it, but just as we were talking through, like, I also feel like this is one of the, this is, like, an effect of the doctor not being around, right? Like if the doctor were around, probably he could use his sonic screwdriver and like, you know, like, right. You know, change Release the resonance from, of, of the yeah. cells so that like it pulls her right. out of the skin and like sends her back through the rift. And like, then, then, you know, whatever, but it's like, well, we don't have that, but here's a good like alternative suggestion. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And there's that moment of like, again, the resolution of neither of these first episodes is like, oh, yay, best friend forever. And like, we found this great, like, we're soulmates and like, you know, we're going to kick, but you know, kick evil butt and all that sort of thing. It's like April, her being uncomfortable with the resolution. Like, yeah, they did find one. I mean, it ended well considering they were trying to stop murders from happening but nobody's really that jazzed about the resolution itself and it's just sort of everybody's just like kind of 
awkward and uncomfortable with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. Awkward and uncomfortable. That's always the best notes to leave an episode on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean... Anything... I, yeah. I think kind so, of Quill is the last major thing. Is there anything else about, like, Ram and the other kids or whatever? Yeah, I was just trying to think. Like, I don't I don't really think I have anything else to say about the coach and the dragon and all of that. Like, yeah, they, so it kind of goes off with the coach and, okay, like, cool. That's wrapped up. Um, yeah, so... The so Quill, um, informed mm-hmm. by the head teacher that she's going to be evaluated in some way. Um, the evaluator turns out to be a staring creep. Um, she confronts him. They start making out. The dragon comes. They run away. She sacrifices him to the dragon. And it turns mm-hmm. out he's a robot um, and is the property of the governors. Like, that's the that's the plot of what happens. I Like, mm-hmm. from a character perspective, um, I mean, we already kind of talked about how she she's kind of off on her own as well. Like, she doesn't... She is the adult overseeing the others in a way, but certainly is not like the guidance, you know, the, the guiding, uh, you know, informative person that Giles is right. No. Um, yeah, no. And, and in fact could be argued that she abdicates a bit of her duty by not staying to protect Harley. Like he kind of, alludes to that like you're supposed to protect me and she's like well Mm -hmm. you know okay but i'm going this way (laughs) so um yeah i mean yeah and like i mean not only is she not guiding them but like isn't her response like when he's like you're supposed to protect me and she's like okay but who's protecting me and then at the end She's, like, asking for all their attention with the robot. Like, rather than, like, her being the sort of parental figure who gives attention to the kids, it's, like, she's saying, like, doesn't anybody care what happened to me or want to hear about this or whatever? So she's almost, like, she is above them and she's their protector and she is sort of, quote, adult. But, like, in a way, she's not really any more... I don't know. Emotionally, anyway, she's no more mature than they are. She's sort of just one of them and just sort of certainly more like, I don't know if selfish is the word, but quicker to sacrifice other people and, you know, a little more morally ambiguous and all those things. Like, I wonder if she's almost more like Ripper Giles than... You know, watcher. Sure. <laughs> right, like if Ripper had come to Sunnydale instead of Giles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the like amoral kind of, yeah, rebel. Yeah, well, the, you know, the the Giles that kills Ben, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
versus the Giles that we see most of the time and the, you know, more mm-hmm. mentory kind of role. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other thing, so this is, I find this interesting more from like a, like a, a you know, how, so we've talked about sort of the, the, you know, peak TV and like the, the rise of, you know, these uh, narratives that are like episodic, but have, you know, longer seasonal arcs and how, you know, and Buffy's sort of role in helping to shepherd that into mm-hmm. sort of the modern storytelling. Um, from a sort of meta perspective, I find her bit, uh, you know, fascinating as well because she's talking about like, like there's a, there's like the moment where she's like grumbling to herself in the hallway of like, these kids are all like talking about a dragon and going after this dragon, you know, doesn't anyone like realize what's, you know, true evil looks like here. And is like, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm the only one like focused on the real thing. And it like, just from a sort of meta, you know, narrative telling, you know, storytelling perspective of like, mm-hmm you know the it's sort of the like do you focus on the monster of the week versus like the seasonal mm-hmm. arc kind of stuff because i feel like that's what we're mm-hmm. getting here is is the introduction of kind of i don't know if, if the governors are going to be a big bad or if, or whatever but it seems it's more it seems more along the lines of the mythology um mm-hmm. especially given that we don't get any reference to the cabinet again the cabinet of souls which is Mm. where we ended up with like that was the end of the last episode was charlie looking into this cabinet of souls and being like yeah aren't you all creeped out too like you know what's going on (laughs) um yeah and we get no mention of that in this episode but but you do get this sense of like there's something bigger going on here there's some kind of government conspiracy happening um i mean i i assume the governors are a type of government (laughs) seems to make mm-hmm. sense given their name um <laughs> uh but like we don't know what what they are exactly or or you know they seem to have some kind of funds and interest in uh you know preserving um or not preserving but observing the um quill at the very least but like probably charlie as well and possibly the rest of the group like we we just don't know what their motives are or anything yet we've just got this one mm-hmm. um example there but yeah just i i kind of i kind of laughed the second time watching through of like oh it's like yeah it's like you know monster of the week versus you know longer mythology like kind of discussion mm-hmm. that we're having here within the story itself um which is kind of funny of because you, cause you do get those of like, oh, you know, I don't like the Monster of the Week episodes. I'm more interested in the mythology. Or, you know, other people are like, no, the Monster of the Week are more fun. And the other mythology stuff just, you know, is whatever. And um, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think you would agree. I, I like them both, but in moderation. So like not heavy on one versus another. I, I like the stories that can both be an, a, a sort of discrete episode, but still further the the overall story to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. So. I, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but yeah, like the, the, her annoyance at focusing on something sort of episodic and sort of trivial versus like the, the secret conspiracy going on in the background. Um, And like, just to mention that, you know, this probably falls under your mentioning of like the governors must be government in some form or other, but um, governors being a, a specifically British, like, school governors like the the people who like oversee a school oh okay um, so like the administration sort of, yeah or even like the board almost like kind of parents okay, or sure. like 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 Lucius Malfoy was on the the govern one of the governors of Hogwarts so he has had a say in the vision like how Dumbledore ran things that sort of thing um, oh, okay. So that that makes sense. The, yeah. the governors are like a a board that we have to answer to. Like the administrators have to answer to these shadowy group of people. So, um, you know, it it's like okay, like clearly the governors are not just a purely mundane school board. So, what is it about this school? Like and. Who is it that has this invested control in what happens at this school is sort of right. the question there. Right. Right. Interesting. And I think um the head teacher mentions the governors at one point too. So like even before you get the robot at the end, like he says something about like, well, we like you have to have this evaluation because the governors demand it, that sort of thing. Um so, and right. of course the robot, and of so, course the robot's name is Smith. So Smith being the giveaway that like <laughs> he's not a real human. Nobody named Smith is like that's just a cover for you know. Uh, it's like the doctor, like he, he, let's yeah, just even pick for the, the doctor, most average time. name yeah. we can find. Right. Yeah, um, like there's no actual humans named Smith. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I mean, we don't get it a lot. Like it's it's just really the reveal at the end there that um you know he's a robot and and kind of there's this group, the governors. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't. I mean, that's kind of where we leave it off with with her as well. Any other thoughts about Quill and and her stuff? Um, no, nothing else to add on to what you said. So, alrighty. Well, nope, then we can we're... move. Move into Angel. Ready to move on to Angel. Uh, just rewards, starting with, starting right where we left off with Spike materializing in the mm-hmm. office. Um, well, that's not exactly true. We start with nineteen days earlier, um, and kind of give the transition from his point of view, where he's sort of burning in a fire at one and then like a split second later he's 
already sort of materialized. He just sort of like comes to in the middle of the room and is completely disoriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and apart from, apart from Wesley, and then he doesn't see Angel till later, there's nobody that he would even like recognize in the room. Um, it's just all these, for the most part, it's these strange faces and, you know, one of them, Lauren, even being rather scary looking. So it's sort of like giving his disorientation and everything. Yeah. Does he, have he and Wesley met before? I don't think so. Maybe they haven't. I, you know what? That made me think they had because Wesley said Spike like, oh, he knew who he was. But maybe they haven't met. I, I think what Wesley knows of Spike, he knows from books and Angel. I don't okay because Spike is season two and Wesley doesn't come in till season three really, and I think at that point Spike is like when Spike comes back it's after Wesley has gone, you know, moved on to go to L.A. Okay, and I think oh I'd have to remember, I'd have to re- I think I think it's like because Spike's in L.A. at one point early in the first season, right, of Angel? Mm-hmm. Before he goes right. on to Sunnydale. But that's when Wesley's off being his rogue demon hunter phase. Right. So it's before Wesley and Gunn, even. So I don't... Th- right. Maybe he hasn't... So, right. So he hasn't... He doesn't know anybody except for Angel. So it's mm-hmm. all these, like, strangers just, like, surrounding him and talking about him and you know, I mean, seem to know who he is, although it's not even clear that he even really, like, registers what they're saying. It's just sort of this complete right mishmash of, like, um, you know, a cacophony of voices, and he's just completely disoriented. Oh, and, and Harmony. Yes, the, that's true. You know, Harmony's there, and he seems to recognize her right away, even amidst the cacophony. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, and anyway, so then Angel sort of makes himself known and Spike like vamps out and immediately lunges. <laughs> it's like, you know, is it is it his dis- disorientation? Is it his, you know... Hatred of Angel, is it a little bit of both? Who can say? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it's sort of the combination of the two that just like leads him to just attack with no questions. Um, yeah. And I then mean, finds that he finds that he sails right through him and is a ghost and can't touch anything and says bugger, and that's the end of the scene. And and re- recalling that the last time he saw Angel was kissing Buffy. Right, right. I would tend to argue it's more the dislike of Angel than the disorientation, uh-huh. personally. But, I mean, right. I, I think you're right that, like, both elements are probably, you know, applicable there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that is the situation. He is... A ghost. He's sort of 
still connected to the amulet somehow. So the fact that the amulet survived and was sent to Angel, we still don't know by who. Um, right. Yeah. Like, keeps Spike sort of tied to the Earth and not able to move on to the afterlife. Um, and, I mean, you I mean know, this we is are, kind of getting... We already see... Oh, sorry. No, no. No, go ahead. I was going to say, with the amulet, I mean, my theory would be you know, it's because it's a magical device that there's some like, you know, um, so like, like there's a feature in some emails when you're, when you're using like the same software or, or network where like you can send an email and if it's not opened in like, you know, three days or something, then it'll be returned, you know, with like a message that mm -hmm. says like the person didn't open it or whatever. Like, I kind of feel like it's, there's like a magical equivalent of that to like this, am it's like this amulet, uh, you know, once it's used, like maybe, maybe there's like a magical thing that like teleports it back to, um, although it mm -hmm. comes in an envelope. So I don't know, like, that's kind of weird if that's <laughs> part, part of the yeah. spell is that it puts it in an envelope. Part of the, that would, address. that's, that's delightful if the spell is to like actually address an envelope and send it through like, the, through snail mail. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the spell's not strong enough to get it all the way back to LA. So it has to like send it to like the nearest, you know, mail, you know, postal <laughs> office or whatever. Like. That's hilarious. Um, that's a very Harry Potter thing to me. Like if it's not that like <laughs> the magic just brings it back to where it started, but if it just sort of, I imagine an amulet just sort of uh, an envelope materializing and an envelope, you know, the amulet drops in and it seals and this writing appears on it and then it flies and goes into the nearest post office basket. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you kind of alluded before that we don't even necessarily ever find out the real answer behind who, if anybody, sort of made this happen. I mean, Angel speculates about this because they talk about the fact that he was he was given the amulet to begin with by you know by lila so sort of from the senior partners or somebody within the senior partners wolfram and hart sort of you know remit so the idea that like it seems that Angel was supposed to use the amulet. Um, has to make you wonder about who's behind it and whose idea that was. And does that mean they wanted Angel to die? Does that mean they wanted Angel to die, but maybe stay as a ghost, you know, or maybe subsequently get revived? It's like not entirely clear to what extent what happened to Spike is what was supposed to happen to Angel. Um, but it seems to be kind of an accident that Spike is in the situation that he's in. Yeah. Which only kind of increases the resentment between the two of them. Um, yeah, and because we do keep getting sort of allusions, even, even in this episode as well, to sort of a bigger plan by the senior partners right and we don't know what that is um 
Magnus hints to knowing that a plan exists, though I guess the I guess we can discuss whether or not we believe that he knows what that plan might be. Um, but it definitely seems that like there's something going on here that senior partners have. And so maybe, but I don't know. There's like, there's also the sense that like Angel wasn't supposed to be the one to use it, that we kind of got in Buffy. So I don't, Yeah, I'm not. Right. This, so maybe, this is the maybe question, that's all. This is a question I think too of like, just there being different writers. And so maybe it's not, like maybe there's not a cohesive like, thing with the amulet that we can really suss out because maybe it wasn't totally thought through mm -hmm. all the way by the writers either but well and it's possible that angel is worrying about nothing maybe the intent of whoever it was was that angel would get it pass it to buffy who then passes it to spike and maybe this all went exactly according to the intention of whoever's idea it was so we don't get a confirmation one way or the other. That's just Angel and Wesley sort of having to worry about that in the context of being in charge of Wolfram and Hart now. Um, mm. And with all of these different factions, both above and below them, that have different opinions and agendas about how what kind of direction this company's going in <laughs> like how what angels you know leadership represents and that sort of thing um yeah. so yeah like again like maybe spike was always sort of meant to have it that sounds very bilbo in the ring mm -hmm. um but um it it seems less comforting a thought Right, right. That there's it, some sort of higher say purpose. That, yeah, yeah. That it's kind of comforting that it was meant to go to, I think, Frodo rather than Bilbo. But right, um, right. Yeah, right. like with Spike, that right. seems less comforting. <laughs> yes, yes, because you know he is not being allowed to. You know, he kind of was ready in that moment to face death. And mm -hmm. kind of went out cackling with sort of laughter, you know, partly sort of triumphant and partly sort of the nihilism of like, ah, it's finally over, that kind of thing. And then he finds that he's in this sort of limbo um, mm -hmm. and he's not anywhere. He's not moving on, but he's not really here either. Um, yeah. It made me think of... Um, in the the last Christmas episode of Doctor Who, the the captain talking about how he lost his kind of chance to go out courageously, like in in like having death snatched away from him. It's like, well, now he's nervous again. Now he's scared, and he's forgotten how it felt to be ready to die in that moment. Um, sure. I feel like that's sort of what's going on. Like in the moment when the thing is crumbling around them, Spike was ready and that was his last big sort of redemptive moment. Um, he wasn't prepared to then have to linger on in this 
shadowy sort of ghost world um and now has to like very cold-bloodedly sort of stare into death and mm -hmm. the afterlife and whatever comes next for him yeah Um, so, I mean, this is kind of getting ahead a little bit, but, um, with all the, like, you know, research, you know, the team goes off and does some investigating and they sort of find that the, in theory, the only way to, uh, fix this situation is to destroy the amulet. And they can only do that in like a graveyard or a church or some sort of hallowed ground mm -hmm. and you know wesley suggests that if spike wants his rest as he says he does then that's the most merciful thing is right for them to do that um but then of course like okay spike said that but he wasn't necessarily asking them to do that for him right then and there right. <laughs> and then he like you know, he said, like, oh, I just want to rest. But then he comes home or comes back to the office to hear them all saying, like, maybe the the nicest thing is just to kill him and to let, right. him, let him move on and let it, let's get it over with. And it's like, OK, that doesn't sound so merciful when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. Especially, like, how eager... Uh, Angel is to dole out the mercy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be merciful. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about the mercy. Merciful, I'm your guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Right. Uh, yes, but so did it surprise you then when sort of... So there's like the multiple twists and I we don't need to do like the slow reveal like they do but like does it surprise yeah. you then the way that like all of the twists end up working themselves out given um his over because i feel like part of the twist is him overhearing the conversation like i mean a twist in that like there's you know there's the sort of dramatic irony of you know talking about him while he's standing there listening to them which is like in a very in a Shakespearean way that would like lead to a sword fight, mm. right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, and it kind of leads to a fight here, but not in the way that we would necessarily expect in a sort of classical story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I, I think it, yeah, it's a good, it works well because I think you are, if you've watched Buffy, which, most angel viewers have you are by this point invested in the idea of spike as a good guy and so you're expecting him to maybe seem to still be sort of shady but ultimately do the right thing and so it's sort of like but at the same time i think they want you to doubt that and have that moment of wondering if he'll come through or you know take you know, succumb to Magnus's temptations. So having him overhear the conversation about kind of euthanizing him helps to give him a motivation for why he might do that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's kind of the idea is that it, it helps justify 
why he would consider, you know, selling out to this guy and selling Angel out and sort of going back into his caring about number one sort of state of being. Um, So I I was pretty sure, I was pretty sure that at the end, you know, I mean, it got, it was touch and go by the, you know, towards, it's pretty late in the, into the plot that you do get the reveal that, okay, he is on the right side. So the longer it went on, the more it was like, you know, a dwindling hope. Mm. But um, I definitely felt fairly secure that we were going to stick with Spike as a good guy in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, which was, I, you know, I clung to it towards the end, but it, it ended up sort of working out the right. way I thought it would. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a good enough, the the fear of death is a good enough motivator that you certainly have to at least wonder if he's thinking about it, you know? Right. Um, Especially as you say, like, if there's, you know, we we get the, um, you know, the, that sense that, um, he was ready and now is no longer ready to die. Like, yeah. Like, like, uh, so one of my, um, one of my favorite, uh, F Scott Fitzgerald quotes is, um, reformed libertines are notoriously intolerant class. I feel like, (laughs) uh, you know, this isn't like spike as a reformed libertine, although that might be an interesting paper to write, um, at some point, but, but, but there is that sense (laughs) of like, like he's even more interested in life now that he's tasted the possibility of death, right? Like, um, and it's even different than like his choosing, you know, to go with Drusilla and like sort of the, eternal death of the vampire because like that he didn't really know what he was getting some himself into right at that point like with the buffy you know thing he he knew like he knew that this was death and this was final or you know he, he thought it was final and and so like that's a very different i think calculation that he just hadn't gone through before and now like having mm-hmm. made that calculation it's almost like he's going to preserve what he has even more than he did mm. before mm-hmm. yeah and i think any sense that i had I, I had like on the second viewing knowing the ending um i wondered if like all right is is it a bit over the top in the sense of like that old thing of why don't people just talk to each other? Like, why does he have to go through the bother of tricking Angel into all this? Why can't he just tell Angel, like, well, this guy tried to make me this offer, but hey, why don't we, like, pretend that I took the offer and then, like, we'll really get him? Um, hmm. I... Why does he have to trick both? Why does he have to trick both sides? But rewatching, I feel like part of the point is. Angel's only really going to buy his goodness if he 
like sells it. If he kind of shows, I had the opportunity to betray you and I did it. And if he just runs and tells him, it, that doesn't quite do the full job. It's like he has to go all the way and then show Angel, here, I had this handed to me on a plate and look, I didn't touch it. And like, don't you sort of trust now that I have a soul and I have self-control and all these sorts of things. I always read the conversation in Angel's bedroom is that that Angel does know ahead of time. Like, I don't think Angel's surprised. I mean, he's kind of surprised. Oh, when, really? When he cuts, you know, he throws the thing and it cuts Magnus's head off. But I, I always was, mm. I, I, that this is just my reading of it. So I'm not saying that you have to read mm. it this way or that there aren't other ways to read it. But I always read that as he knew. But I guess, I guess it's certainly possible that he didn't and that, it's a complete surprise to him. Yeah. But I, I guess I thought, I thought that that was why he went through with it the way that he does. Because otherwise it's kind of, I don't know. Do you, like, would you go to a graveyard if your main enemy is a necromancer? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like, like there's too much, like, what, I, you know. There's too many things that could go wrong. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. Like, I mean, there's nothing textual. And I think there's enough ambiguity there that you could read it multiple ways. I guess I just mm -hmm. always read it as they go over the sort of in-depth plan off screen. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was expecting. But then I thought, no, it seemed to me that Angel's surprise was genuine at the end that, you know, that Spike was you know, on his side. But maybe I, I it's possible that I misunderstood that. So I'd have to go back and watch it again to be sure. But and maybe it maybe it's ambiguous. Maybe there is no correct answer. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, that's interesting. Um well we're kind of skipping around a lot. Um <laughs> So, like, one thing I, we kind of alluded to this, but maybe we can go a little bit more in detail about the rivalry with Angel. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's, it's partly about Buffy, for sure. Sure. Um, but it's also sort of just more generally their envy of each other and their sort of positions and their redemption arcs, in a way. Um, right. Like, there's that kind of section where um, Spike said, you know, what he says, what's your problem? You, you punt, you're my problem. You've got it too good. He, your kingdom of 34 castles, all the cars, comfort, power, and glory you could ever want. And here I save the world, throw myself on the proverbial hand grenade for love, honor, and all the right reasons. And what do I get? Bloody well toasted and ghosted is what I get in it. He says that in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not fair. And then, and then Angel Counter is like, fair, you asked for a soul. I didn't. It almost killed me. I spent 100 years trying to come to terms with infinite remorse. You spend three weeks moaning in a basement, and then you were fine. What's fair about that? <laughs> and, then, and then, are you getting blurry? And then he disappears. Um, <laughs> and, right. oh, by the way, I love the little random flickers in and out of reality. Um, like, in the, middle of, in the middle of sentences and all that. Like, 
the the comic timing of that was pretty well done. Sure. Um, like, are you getting blurry or is it? And then he's gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's funny. So yeah, like that's a pretty good summary of their different stories so far. Um, you know, Spike kind of seeing his lack of reward for all the, you know, sacrifices that he's now choosing to make and the nobility with which he's choosing to live. Um, and Angel, on the other hand, just looking at, like, the swiftness with which Spike is regaining his soul and his humanity. Mm -hmm. um, like, Spike, you know because it's within the confines of Buffy, the television show, Spike's redemption is over the course of like a season and a half. Whereas right. like Angel has this entire backstory before the show even starts where it's like hundred years, like a hundred or more yeah. years of living in the gutter and getting nothing for it. Um, so he just sees Spike as like, Oh my God, you just snapped your fingers. And are now, like, one of the good guys. And, like, what did you ever do to earn that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's just an interesting kind of difference of, ultimately, they're at the same place. They both have souls. They both are kind of fighting for good. But, like, very different paths to get there. Yeah. Well, and so the other aspect of that, of course, is the curse. Um, which Mike doesn't have. Like, mm -hmm. he, he has a soul free and clear. Right. That Angel doesn't. Angel can lose his. Right. Angel which, has all these strings attached. Which yeah. which is which adds another dimension of, you know, problem to his mm -hmm. being and soul. Um so yeah. I don't I mean I don't have anything beyond that, but just to point it out that that there's like mm -hmm. even one more thing that I think is sort of alluded to in some of the conversation there, like um, it's sort of implied by the, you know, you asked for yours and I didn't like, I don't think that's angel mm -hmm. saying I did. I never wanted a soul. I mean, like he didn't want a soul, but like, I don't right. think that's now the thing he, that he's he complaining it. about. Yeah. It, it It's the, the cursed aspect of it that like he has this soul in a way that he never asked for. And now there's like strings attached that he never right was looking to do, you know, to have. Um, right. So. Right. Yeah. 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 But uh, again, the other unsaid part, which we don't get to the end, is that there aren't strings attached to Spike's soul, but there is more going on than what he's saying at this point. Like, there is this kind of existential dread of his position that, mm. like, I kind of want to just skip to the end. What he describes to Fred of <laughs> I'm doing it, having like seen, you know, this kind of abyss mm -hmm. that, you know, that he's potentially, if he dies, that's where, what he's going to is hell. Um, and so in a way it's like, all right, he has a soul, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's saved. You know, in the, like, if it's a heaven-hell situation. Like, right. just because he has a soul and is fighting for good doesn't mean he's going to the good place, right? Like, whereas, like, I, you know, I don't know 
that Angel is either necessarily, but there is a sense that Angel is sort of redeemed or ultimately will be redeemed, like through his, you know, his good works, his helping of people and his sort of champion status. Whereas like, I could see Spike saying like, well, I'm doing those same things and I chose to do them and I'm still headed to the bad place yeah. is kind of or, what it looks like. Or or even if it, I mean, or he assumes he is. Like, you know, he, he thinks he is, whether whether that's objectively yeah, that's, factual right. or not. Like, that's... Right. That's he, what it know, seems to him, yeah. He at least believes that that's where he's going. And so maybe it's that he wants more time to figure out what his redemption is you know, needs to be, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. <clears throat> um, okay. So anything else about the, like, The intro section, we've gone way past that, obviously, but, like, <laughs> the, I guess the, like, the the setup with Spike, you know, anything about the sort of situation that he's in or whatever. No, I don't think so. Um, and, I mean, we've kind of done all the plot stuff, too. I I guess it's more just, like, the more humorous aspects of that, of, like, him and sure. Harmony back together, which like yeah. I, I I would imagine. I mean, not together, together, but like just the you know in the same place, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which you kind of forget how delightful that is, of like mm -hmm. of like the because like it's it's such a surprise pairing to begin with, but then you kind of figure like okay mm -hmm. they've done and explored all that and have moved on, and then it's like oh but they haven't moved on like there's more. There's more there there. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um so just kind of the the humorous aspect of that. Um and and just you know you know a different take on it now too because like last time it like it turned into harmony with her minions. But now, like, mm -hmm. she's just a working gal in L.A., you know. Uh, just a girl in the big city looking yeah, for love. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and even, like, the, the, that moment of, like, oh, could we strike things up again? But then, like, calls him a Slayer-loving freak. <laughs> you know, like, just those funny little yep. moments like that that, you know, I don't think anyone would have expected to be a part of Angel season five. You know what I mean? Like that's right, right. so not right. where Angel has gone before. And like, but it, mm -hmm. you know, just this setup allows you to kind of do some, some things like that, that are, I mean, that don't, you know, aren't the biggest, most important aspect of the show, but kind of give it that delightful little tweak. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Harmony's, you know, little turns of phrase, like a leopard can't change his stripes and all that sort of thing, like. Or what's what's the other um, one? Um, oh, what's the other one she says, like, near the end there? I can't remember what it is. I'll have to try to look it up. 
Anyway. Oh, I know what you mean. I don't think I wrote it down. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Um, okay. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the plot, we talked about, like, Magnus and all that. Um, the only other thing I want to mention is the, I guess, this is sort of the continuing story of Wolfram and Hart's relationships with its clients, at, which are kind of on thin ice. Which um, are dwindling, yeah. And, which are dwindling and going downhill. So this is, Angel made a decision to, like, nix the... Uh, to, what to, was it? Department of like, oh, internment <laughs> acquisition. Right, right. The, the the grave digging department was uh, grave robbing. You know, yeah, <laughs> d deemed deemed redundant. Um, and um, so now this necromancer who gets like a supply of corpses is angry at you know the firm and looking to sort of get revenge on them and everything. Um, and, you know, Gunn sort of bringing in the voodoo doll that somebody's made. So there's like, again, all this anger and resentment from all the different wings of the decisions that they're making. And like the very violent and magical extremes to which people will go to like send a message to the, the new boss and everything. Um, but the very mundane way that they're responding to that, like with their threat to go to the IRS, um, mm -hmm. you know, and which potentially is effective, but Spike kind of mocks them for that. Like, yeah, you know, you're, right. you're supposed to be like fighting the champion fighting for, you know, good against evil and like, Oh, I'm going to report them to the IRS. Like that's right, really right. like the best, that's the best you've got. And you know, he's, he calls him a bureaucrat. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, if, if the Slayer could see you now, like how the mighty have fallen and all this sort of stuff. So right. the way that this, this job is like compromising them, not just in terms of having to make deals with, you know, evil folks and, you know, all that sort of thing. But even just like, it just made me think, okay, we were at Mythmoot this weekend and Tom Shippey's sad ladder of like leadership to management to administration. It's like, I feel like this is reflective of that. Like, like sure. this is not Angel the Champion fighting the hordes of evil with a sword. This is like, he he's not leadership anymore. Now he's administration. Yep. Now he fights evil with, you know, paper tax paperwork and lawyers and all that sort of thing. And even if he's still fighting for good, it's a reduction in the nobility of how right. he's going about it. It it's certainly not sort of the epic heroism kind of fighting. Right. Like like and especially thinking about like, if you put this into context of, you know, what the, the you know, when they brought in the shaman to, um, you get him to a happy place where he would lose his soul again, right? And what was that? It was the total, uh, you know, um, 
stereotypical like heroic epic fantasy search for the sword in the middle of LA you know yeah. like that's what that that was his happy place that you know made him lose his soul this is as far as you can get from that um yeah so clearly indicating that like it's not and and i mean there's even that moment of like uh oh he's going to go back out again like you know on his own and i mean he does go out to with spike sort of haunting him uh, along the way but like he's about ready to just run out and take care of it of himself again and like gun stops him and is like oh i know how you can do it and what's the answer it's the irs thing right like we don't learn mm -hmm. it right then it's it's later that we learn what guns big idea was but it's just that idea of like like angel keeps feeling trapped by like all the bureaucracy and stuff and well what is it that he goes out and does it's the bureaucracy thing right but also Be, like play, play along with the game yeah but also like but on the other hand that's what's effective right that's the thing that like throws Magnus off his game and like gives them the opportunity to um you know to go well I mean kill him eventually but like <laughs> but like that's the thing that like puts him in his place and and kind of mm -hmm. gives them the leverage that they need um but yeah you you do have like the spike mocking him and it it is mocking him even if it is the more effective thing um in mm -hmm. the long run so right it, right it does it kind of doesn't matter how effective it is it's not romantic you know it's not the ideal of what they what he imagines himself to be fighting for mm -hmm. um so yeah so it's that's an interesting kind of continuing theme is the the further you know interactions with the various levels of their company and you know the the depths to which they will sink to yeah. <laughs> deal with some of these people um and, and yeah. also this idea that they're eliminating a lot of departments and individuals yeah. from the company <laughs> eliminating in some ways more literally nice than one. others um you know because like they didn't necessarily mean to eliminate that one lawyer they sent to Magnus, but he, Magnus, you know, <laughs> right. uh, deals with him in a certain way. So um, it's not even like the intentional, like, I mean, you know, there's, there's like the, the humorous um, idea of like the termination, right? Like in a work related sense of, you know, they're terminating employees and like in some cases mm -hmm. that's literal, <laughs> um, which has always been mm -hmm. a problem at uh wolf wolfram and hart but um i don't think it's as yeah. intentional as it has been in the past but it's it's still an issue <laughs> that crops mm -hmm. up um so yeah yeah uh but but just this idea too um, that that yeah. now you have this contingent of former wolfram and hart employees uh who are disgruntled and could potentially cause problems because like they know a lot of things and 
presumably some of them have certain types of power and influence that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe reaches beyond. Um, you know, we, we get the funny, like, voodoo doll that kind of looks like Dunn. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, what are the things but they didn't But that's not something to take lightly, yeah. Yeah, what are the, and what are the things they didn't catch, right? Like, right, we don't, right. we don't necessarily know. Right. Yep. And we also don't act exactly know how big Wolfram and Hart is. Mm. It seems pretty big. But, I mean, we don't know exactly, but it's certainly, it's not a startup. You know, like, it's like, this is a company, it right. seems to be. Well, a, it's it's an office of a of a multi-dimensional corporation. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, like, are we talking hundreds of employees in this office? You know, thousands, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just don't have a sense. I mean, I, what does he say, like, 40 have been let go at this point? But, like, at what point mm-hmm. are they in the, uh, you know, rounds of layoffs? So, so, just, for example, my own experience with being laid off at, at the bank was working for a multinational, you know, financial corporation the the particular round of layoffs that I got wrapped up in was like 30,000 people got laid off. And that was just one of several rounds. So like, mm-hmm. you know, is, is that what we're dealing with? I mean, probably not that we're not probably letting go of 30,000 people, but could be hundreds of people who are in LA that maybe all have a reason to hate angel <laughs> and the, team mm-hmm. that are now running Wolfram and Hart. So just to just to point that out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Does something come of that? Who knows? <laughs> also speaking yeah. of like Yeah, so Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say also like speaking of like people, you know, other people, like we get the one mention of like Buffy's in Europe now. So that's interesting. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I guess we won't. Well, I shouldn't say we won't find out why. Maybe we will with an angel. Um, Or I wonder if that's the kind of thing that you have to read the comics to know what is going on. There's probably some mention in the comics. I'm sure there is. The question is, will (laughs) there be a mention in Angel? Yeah. Um. So I, I'll, I'll wait to see if we find out any more information there. Um, but that was kind of intriguing. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I feel, I mean, we were getting to kind of the end here, although I feel like since we jumped around, we kind of talked about it, like Spike's overhearing of the others and, you know, decision to sort of, do the right thing and help Angel and all that. Um, and I I definitely want to specifically note the fact that he goes to Fred for help in the end. Um, mm. I mean, he makes a kind of gross and callous remark to her about her earlier mm. when he says something to Angel about, like, you know, something objectifying. Um, 
Right, right. But again, well, I, and that's I, like I, I took that as the trying to kind of either trick or slash get a rise out of Angel earlier on. Um, not to say that Spike's never objectified anybody before, but um, well, that he's like deliberately going over the top, and yeah. and yeah. Anyway, go ahead. That that's when he's he's like that's when Magnus reveals his plan of putting Spike into Angel's body. And Spike's kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I'll, you know, pretend to be you, and maybe I'll have a go at Fred. Right. You know, like... Right, playing the part, yeah. I think that's actually more playing... And and that's why I think... I mean, again, you can read that as, like, Angel may not know Spike's plan. But I, Mm -hmm. I think that the way I've always read it is that Spike's more playing it up for Magnus in that moment of like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. look at all the evil I'm going to do kind of in your name and like reconfirming for Magnus that like he was the right choice for this. Mm-hmm. Knowing all the while that Spike's going to stab Magnus in the back or well in like right. the nebulous chest area that he right. inhabits. Right. Um. That's the way I take that. Now, I mean, that's not to say that, like, mm-hmm. it's not, certainly not a nice thing to say about Fred. You know, that's the way I take it. Then. Sure. Yeah, no, and I think, though, like, it definitely gets in, it kind of points out to the audience that, like, he's at least noticed Fred. And um, so it's kind of, prepares you to think about that and like kind of alerts you to it before he goes to her at the end that like, you know, rather than go to Angel who they clearly don't have the greatest, most empathetic relationship um, or go to Wesley who might be the most knowledgeable about sort of spiritual dimensional things or whatever it is. He goes to, you know, he goes to Fred for help. Um, you know, and I mean, we'll just see where that relationship goes. We could speculate as to why, like, is she the most empathetic? Is she, like, she's the one who says she doesn't really feel comfortable, you know, talking about killing him earlier. So maybe he kind of identifies her as the the most sort of caring person. Um, or maybe she's the least threatening. Like, maybe she's the easiest to talk to or to confess to about what it he's afraid of or whatever it is um well and she's also a highly intelligent physicist so maybe there's like just a sense that she has this whole research lab and might actually be able to help him um so there's like lots of potential reasons why but anyway he goes and gives that little monologue about how he saw this sort of abyss you know uh the, the place full of fire and torment and he's kind of standing on the brink of it and is desperate to not go there. <laughs> so, um, and then asks her for help. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he says in there though, why he's going to Fred. Like, it, Does it's, he? yeah, he oh, says, well, maybe I missed it. He says, you're the smart one, the go-to girl who knows all about this ghost mumbo-jumbo. And she tries to say, well, Wesley's really the, like, the occult expert and blah, blah, blah. And he, and he says, no, but you're the science queen and 
you figure yeah. things out um, in that cute little noggin of yours. So again, you know, maybe a little misogynistic sure. there, but like, you, you know, just that, that idea that like, he's going to someone who's like, I get a sense there that he does, he's not looking for like the theoretical thing, right? He's looking for the practical, like science. Uh, I mean, you know, ghosty magic science, but like science aspect of what he's, you know, what's actually wrong with him and can it be fixed? I think mm-hmm. with Wesley, I mean, so given that, like, I mean, we've talked about since early on how sort of the magic, you know, like you get potions and spells and stuff that are are basically like science or, or recipes, you know, for how to do these things. So maybe Wesley would have a similar effect, but I, I think that that's, I mean, I think that's a, to me, that seems like a fairly clear explanation, but I don't know. Maybe there's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I just missed that or forgot to put that in my notes. So yeah, that makes sense. Um. Although I don't, I don't think it, it's inconsistent also with, with Fred also being the only one to sort of question the plan when they're sort of talking and Spike overhears them. Oh like, yeah. No, no. It, I, like she's also all, all, the, the only one who's sort of like, uh, is this really the most ethical decision? So and she's she, sort of the right choice in a bunch of different ways. And she, like if, if we're crit-ficking Spike a little, like she would be, mm-hmm the one with the least yes he overheard her sort of defending not him per se but the idea that like he needs to be killed um mm-hmm. you know not defending against the idea that he needs to be killed um mm-hmm. and and also like she probably has the least preju- reason to be prejudiced against him um, mm-hmm. ex- except for maybe like Lauren, who's, you know, like a demon and just kind of seems okay with everyone and everything. Um, mm-hmm. but also isn't part of that. I don't think he's in Angel's office as part of that conversation, right? Cause he's kind of yeah, maybe not. somewhere else. Um, the, so the, uh, with Fred, I think there, you know, so you have Angel who's obviously doesn't like spike much even though maybe by the end you know maybe by this point you can see that they've come to a kind of uneasy truce um you've got wesley who's like a former watcher and so even if spike does have a soul and is you know he's still a vampire and and probably still you know along the giles line of oh hey remember giles tried to have me killed like recently probably going to like another former watcher isn't the first uh yeah. thing that you could yeah. expect spike to do um gun you know has a long-term vendetta against vampires and maybe spike doesn't know that but like you know even like i don't know i guess maybe it's a toss-up between fred and and gun but like again like gun doesn't have the like scientific knowledge to actually figure out what's happening so kind of the mm-hmm. last one there like all things considered like fred's both more empathetic and or at least sympathetic with spike's plight and also has like the scientific chops to be able to 
possibly mm-hmm. do something and resources to do something about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. So I, I probably would have guessed that by the end of the episode, the ghost plot would have been resolved. So, um, you know, that's not the case. It's interesting to see that like, okay, we're ending on not exactly a cliffhanger, but with some unresolved storylines here as to Spike's fate. And that has yet to be sort of figured out. So, you know, his sort of immediate crisis with does Angel trust him or not is sort of solved. And uh, now it's sort of the broader question of how to save him from this sort of eternal damnation that he is potentially hovering over. Mm. Yeah. So, and you know, I said Spike appears in season five of Angel. I didn't say for how long. It's been like the first three episodes, and then he, you know, gets killed and sent to hell and never heard from again. And then, then um, he goes and does Torchwood. That's right. Although, I mean, that's a little later, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to make a joke about hell. Um, but that's not kind to Torchwood, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, anyway, you're, you're is right. Is there anything like, else? I was just going to say anything that. Anything else we didn't really, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, um, lag is terrible. Uh, I was just going to say that, like, yeah, like you said, there was just, uh, yeah, maybe it is a little surprising that it's still sort of unresolved, so. Um, and there is this looming idea of him sort of fading away, which, you know, we, I think, are with him that we don't want him to go away. So, yeah, we can see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and from just from the Wolfram and Hart perspective, like, you know, we're told that Magnus Hainsley you know, gives a lot of money for the procurement of these bodies. Um, now, not only did they stop giving him bodies, but they killed him off. So, like, any potential for uh, revenue there. So, like, we're, we're, like, there's both literal bleeding and, like, the metaphorical, like, bleeding of money that's continuing to happen. Mm-hmm. And And we had the warning from Eve in the first episode of, like, you need to still be profitable. And, um, mm. you know, Angel's going around killing, well, well, not just Magnus, but he also kills, like, this demon who's there to, like, negotiate, you know, his clan to stop eating baby heads. So, like, right. so, you know. Right. His three o'clock appointment. From, uh, from and they're, and they're closing down departments, getting rid of employees, like, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe you can offset some of the lack of revenue with you know, not having to pay out benefits on all those employees, but like that, at some point that stops happening and you just are losing money. And, um, Mm -hmm. at, you know, at what point that is, um, remains to be seen, I guess. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. There we have it. Cool. 
All right. Well, so we'll be back then um, next week with some more class and uh, and Angel. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.